Hi, everybody. This is Moshe Fried, and welcome to the very 34th episode of the Class Stars podcast. This is actually the last podcast of 2019, and so I'd like to take some time on to reflect on what the year was and really what it is that is special about being involved in education, obviously working with the kids, but even more so working with teachers and helping teachers really maximize their potential. The big question is, how do teachers like us, who are being pulled in so many directions, with so many demands and so much to do, how do we make sure that we not only get through our lesson as planned, but also make sure that every child is noticed every day, and that each one gets the attention they need to succeed? That is the question, and the Class Stars podcast is here to give you the answer. Here is your host, Moshe Freed. It's amazing to think that we're wrapping up the year. This is the last podcast episode of the year. And this is really the first year that I'm wrapping up the year with a, a podcast episode. The last year at this time, I was not even dreaming of doing a podcast. And for those of you who know my origin story, I started the field of social work um, about a dozen years ago. And I got to start my career in schools. And working with the kids was was really, really amazing. And I still am a therapist. I have a private practice in Brooklyn, New York. And I love working with people and helping people overcome difficulties. It does get difficult at times. Obviously, people go through really difficult stuff. And in order to really help them, you've got to really put yourself in their position as best as you can. Um, this, again, is in social work, not so much in education. Education is different. There are differences and similarities between education and social work. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that today. Um, but starting out my career working with schools was really, really amazing. But that thrill of impacting people was, was just so infectious and, and contagious for me. And I would catch it, I would catch it and, and just try to do more and more of it. And I came to the realization one day that if I can help teachers notice things with kids sooner and be more effective in helping kids with their problems. And obviously not being a teacher, I wasn't about imparting the information, which is of course critical. Education is the key to education. Education is the key to education. Boy, does that sound wise. Education is the key of, of school. That's the kids go to school to learn. And, you know, that wasn't really where I was contributing. My contribution was more in the social and emotional well-being, behavioral challenges, so on and so forth which is obviously very disruptive. If you have a kid who's not doing well socially, emotionally, it's going to spill over into the academics. Behavior issues are not only affecting the child with the behavioral issue, but the entire classroom. And teachers are not always equipped to deal with these things. The training is not enough in helping teachers deal with these kinds of behavioral and social and emotional issues. There is a much Stronger emphasis on that today, which is fantastic, and we're certainly moving over into that direction. But I came in more as the expert in that, and thinking that I can help teachers, it really, but it really put that impact on a on a whole new level because each teacher, each individual teacher that I was helping, was impacting an entire class. And I thought about when I work with with an individual, I can see however many hours there are in a week to see people one on one. It's that amount of people for the year. 
But when I looked at how many teachers I can impact, I figured if I can impact 10 teachers over the course of the year, and let's say there are between 25 and 30 kids in a class, and obviously some classes are larger, some classes are smaller. I'm not advocating or even talking about classroom sizes now. I know that's a very complicated issue, but just it is what it is. However many kids are in the class, let's say 25 on average, 10 teachers at 25 kids, that's 250 kids a year. But the impact that I can have on the teacher, if I can help the teacher really learn how to handle something, it can last beyond the year, beyond my working with the teacher. So a teacher that comes into a classroom, let's say a teacher has a 25-year career, which is very modest, 25-year career at you know, 25 kids a year. It's a tremendous, tremendous impact. And that was so exciting to me. I started off actually putting down notes of different experiences that were repeating themselves, you know, patterns that I was seeing develop again and again. And I created a series of presentations that I would present to teachers and kind of bring it to their attention. And, you know, there are a lot of teachers that go on the speaking circuit. And early on, I thought that this would be great. I, you know, I like entertaining people. I like the energy of the room of, of discovering new things. There was a lot, there was a lot of positive there. And of course, everything is challenging. So it wasn't without its challenges. But I realized that really my strength lies not with giving a one-time presentation. You know, you give a one-time presentation and you meet these people and, you know, they usually hear nice things about you beforehand. There's some reputation that you have coming in, but they don't really get to know you. When you hear somebody speak, they don't really get to know you. But if you work with somebody over time, they can really get to know you. And then the impact is so much deeper. It's so much greater. And one of my teachers actually gave me an example of the difference between eating out at a restaurant and homemade food. And eating at a, at a restaurant is great, especially, you know, you go to a fancy restaurant for a special occasion and it's really terrific. It's really fantastic. But what happens if you eat at a restaurant too many times, if you go there too often, it starts to lose its luster. It's not as exciting. It's not as great. And after a while, you can actually get sick of it. And if you think about it, the chef at the restaurant could be a world-class chef, but he or she is not preparing that food for you. They don't even know that you're there. They're just preparing the food. Their emphasis is on the food. Their focus is on the food. It's not the person eating the food because it's different people. It's not anybody that they're connected with. But when it comes to homemade food, it might not be as fancy. It might not be as exciting it's certainly not, you know, an occasion. It's something that you do all the time. But the one who prepares the homemade food, whether it's, you know, your mother, your wife, your whoever, you know, it's not limited to the mother or the wife. Plenty of good, good fathers that are, you know, good cooks that are fathers, good cooks that are husbands. But homemade food is prepared special for you. And it's not something that you ever get sick of. It's the food that you eat your whole life. It's the food that makes you who you are. So while being a public speaker out there on the circuit, yeah, that's great and it's exciting and it's inspiring and you could definitely, there, you know, there are definitely a lot of great speakers out there that do great, great work. But for me, and especially with my background in social work, the, the magic happened in the relationships that I forged with my clients and with the teachers that I worked with closely. You know, and I'd get referrals from teachers who were struggling with their students, and then they'd refer more of their students to me. And, and we developed these really, really amazing relationships. And I guess it was around then that I realized that really the magic that teachers can impart to their students is also in the relationships. And 
I started off actually having groups of teachers coming to my office once a month and discussing their issues. It was kind of like a support group for teachers where they can vent their frustrations, air their grievances. We would obviously focus on the things that we could do that make a difference. It wasn't just a bashing session. That's not productive to just sit there and, and gossip about all the problems in education that we really can't help. We tried to keep it focused on being productive and being constructive and positive. And after a handful of these sessions, I saw tremendous, tremendous impact. It was amazing. It was really, really amazing. I'll never forget. And I think I sp- spoke about this in one of my early podcasts about the teacher who was a great, great, dedicated teacher for teaching for like 30 years or something like that. And when I had asked him to meet with me with parents in my office one night with a, one of his students and their parents, he wouldn't come because it was after hours and he wouldn't come after hours. And I know, you know, from getting my involvement with the, with the public school system, some of the unions wouldn't even allow it. You can't give extra time beyond the hours. It's, you know, everything is regulated and I certainly respect that as well. But in this particular case, you know, in this particular setting, it wasn't the case. And he, he was free to come, free not to come. And he told me that he's just not interested in coming because, you know, it's just after hours and he's got a life and he's got other things to do. And again, you know, fair, very fair, very legitimate. I'm not here to uh, overburden anybody and everybody's got to take care of their own personal stuff. If you don't t- take care of yourself, then then no one will. But after working with this group for a couple of months, a few sessions, he approached me and, and asked me for a meeting and, and it was a drastic turnaround. And, you know, I thought a lot about it. Like, how did that, how did that turnaround happen? And I think it was the support of the group that brought things to his attention, that helped him realize that, you know, he has an opportunity here. This is not a, bur- I mean, sometimes it is a burden, obviously, but I don't look at it as a burden. I look at it as an opportunity. And I try to always frame challenges as opportunities. You know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to take on this challenge that we have here. But this is an opportunity that you have that you may not have, uh, you know, that often. And it's, it's really something that can make a big difference in the life of another person. I was actually talking to somebody earlier today who was having a really rotten day. And he started off the day, got up, gets up really early to go to school. He has to travel to another borough. And he had gotten up early and the day wasn't going well and he just threw in the towel. He just called the day, you know, called the quits for the day. And one bad thing led to the next bad thing. And it was already three or four o'clock in the afternoon and he was really, really bored. So I told him that, you know, you gotta, you gotta realize that, you know, if you start off the day on a, on a, you know, on the bad, on a bad foot, <clears throat> the best thing you could do for yourself is to turn it around and save the day. You know, we always talk about how heroes save the day. We all have those days that start off bad. And if you could figure out how to turn that around as quickly as possible, you can save the day. You can be your own hero for your own day. And rather than let the day go to waste, make the most of it. So what if you're late? It's better to be late than to not show up at all. And then he was complaining to me how the day was so boring. He had nothing to do. And I said, you know, you know, he had struggled when, when he first started with me. And he'd done amazing, amazing work and really, really succeeded a lot. He, had, he experienced a lot of success. And the first time he really tasted success, I had him really sit in that success. You know, I said, listen, right now you're at the top of your game. You've, what you've accomplished here, you know, academically and socially, it's really, really amazing. And it feels great. 
let's just sit and savor this moment and, and really feel how great that feels to be successful. And this way you can come back to it. And when things are tough, you can come back to this moment and, and remember what this tastes like, what this feels like, and draw from that the energy and the strength because there's no external motivation or external incentive. There's no prize that's, that can rival the thrill and satisfaction of just succeeding, just overcoming a challenge, getting something right, mastering something, whatever it might be. And it's obviously different for different people and different stages of life, different ages. But, but that's an important thing to, to really emphasize. And today I told them that just like you want to really revel in the thrill and excitement of success, it's important to take a, a bad day and, and you know, recognize what that's like because that's also motivation. And knowing how boring a day could be can really jumpstart you in the morning when you're on track to having a bad day. Anyway, I digress from uh, you know what I was discussing before about the groups. So once, once uh, these groups were underway and I had a handful of them running simultaneously, different groups with different teachers, and it was really, really amazing. And I just kept thinking, what can I do to take this to the next level? What can I do to take this to the next level? I just, I just wanted to have the biggest impact. That was just so thrilling for me. And the solution came to me, you know, I, I can't really say that it happened as an epiphany in one day, but a kind of a bunch of things that came together. I remember once being on a on the subway and, and watching somebody play Subway Surfer. And I was thinking, you know, it's amazing how this guy can really with such precision swipe back and forth to avoid all the obstacles and to jump up and down, back and forth to avoid all the obstacles in Subway Surfer. It's like, it's really, really remarkable. And I thought to myself, if I can put together some kind of an app that can help teachers focus on you know, what they need to do with their kids, it can really keep them focused on the things that are important. And that might be very useful. Now, obviously, I realized that the biggest objection to creating an app that is meant to help teachers focus on particular students is that it's taking away their attention from what they're currently focusing on. And most teachers focus primarily on teaching. Well, they're teachers. Obviously, they're going to be focusing on teaching. So when I started to talk to people about this, this was the initial pushback. Like, you know, teachers can't do We can't do this while we're teaching. We're, we're busy teaching. We're busy interacting with the kids and to stop and to have to mark down, you know, because the idea would be that if you have um, a certain kind of interaction with a kid, you can mark it down in a very simple way. You know, traditionally, people would be marking things down in, on paper with a pen and paper, you know, writing out notes or shorthand symbols or whatever it is just to remember afterwards what happened. The problem is that most of these notes would get lost and, you know, be difficult to read. So if we had an electronic way of doing it where we kind of preset certain behaviors that you can predict, you know, you can kind of predict the misbehaviors that happen in a classroom. There are a handful of misbehaviors, you know, like... Kids are either disruptive or they're talking, which is also a form of disruption, but a more precise form of disruption. You know, they're not prepared, they're distracted, you know, simple things like that that you can kind of predict. And we have a preset set that makes it really, really simple to swipe and tap and record what happened. And this way, it makes it really simple for teachers to know the frequency of the dysfunctional behavior. All good behavior plans require you to measure a baseline of behavior that includes a frequency of misbehavior. So 
while you don't have to have it down to the single, you know, one, but you need to have a basic idea of how frequently the student is misbehaving, and it's very difficult for teachers to have that. So let's make it really, really simple, where it's just a swipe and a tap, and you can record it. Everything is going to be time-stamped. And then the second thing was to make sure that teachers know to give positive feedback to kids, because that's really, you know, that's really what, what, that's the key to everything. You know, to me, that's the secret sauce. The secret sauce of building relationships with kids is the positive feedback. And it really came to light when I learned about John Gottman and his work with couples. And I had told the story in a previous podcast too. John Gottman was actually written up by Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Blink. The opening chapter is about John Gottman. And he's able to watch a couple discuss a disagreement for three minutes and with over 90% accuracy predict if they'll still be together in 10 years. And it's the most amazing thing when I tell this to people, like their eyes light up. It's so cool. And what's even more amazing, I tell people all the time, that in a minute you'll be able to do it too because all he does is count the compliments and criticisms that they give each other. And what he has found is that in a couple that has a good relationship will give five compliments to every criticism. Couples in a bad relationship will give 0.8 compliments to every criticism. So it's a drastic difference. And... I began to think about that too. That was also one of the things that I thought about. How does that play out in a classroom environment? Certainly the kids that are getting the criticism are not getting nearly enough positive feedback to offset that. They're getting less positive feedback than the kids that aren't getting the criticism. So the ratios of these kids must be terribly skewered. And it's no wonder that these kids feel like the teachers don't like them. So the idea was by using the same platform, the same tool that records the undesirable behavior, the negative behaviors, the misbehaviors. And you're also recording your positive feedbacks. So we have an idea of the ratio of positive to negative feedback that each child is getting from the particular teacher. And we can kind of draw the teacher's attention to those students that need positive feedback. And this is very different from other apps that actually have point systems. The traditional way of monitoring behavior is with a point system. You earn points for good behavior, you lose points for bad behavior. The problem is that you can game that system. You know, you can game that system. And it's also really not that innovative because, you know, when I was a kid in school, we also had a point system, you know, pluses and minuses. So it wasn't with an app. It was on a oak tag or a roll book or whatever, but it's the same point system. And for me, I didn't like the idea of kids having to earn positive feedbacks. One of the things that I so often talk with parents about. And there's a lot of confusion about this these days. And Russell Barkley really talks well about this. I really, really recommend uh, reading up on Russell Barkley's research on parenting and teaching. He, makes, he draws the distinction between entitlements and earnings or privileges. And what he says is that when parents are interacting with children or when teachers are interacting with children, it's really important to distinguish between things that kids are entitled to, okay? And when he talks about this, he gives an example of at home, you can never tell your child if you're misbehaving, you're not going to eat dinner. Dinner is an entitlement. A kid needs dinner. A kid needs to eat. A kid needs basic stuff, basic clothing, basic shelter. So those are not things that you would negotiate with a child's behavior by saying you need to earn supper. Now you can earn and a, you know, a dinner out in a restaurant, that's a privilege. That's something that you can earn. But you can't negotiate on, on entitlements. And 
I'm thinking, what are the entitlements that a kid is entitled to in a classroom? When a kid comes to school, what do they deserve? They shouldn't have to earn this. And to me, the most basic thing is that thing that makes the relationship positive, that thing that John Gottman looks for in order to know, is this a relationship that can last? And that is the positive feedback, the compliments. Kids deserve compliments. They deserve positive feedback. So, so the idea was to create an app that would allow teachers to record positive feedback and negative feedback that they're giving to kids and draw their attention to the kids that are not getting the right ratios. They're not getting enough positive feedback. It's not a reflection on the child. It's a re- reminder to the teacher, catch this kid being good. Give him some kind of a compliment. Build him up. You've got to criticize him. A classroom environment is a learning environment that's going to be filled with criticism. Otherwise, the kids won't learn. But there's got to be a healthy dosage of positive feedback. That's really, 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 really important. So this was the idea, and I started talking to people about it, and some people were excited about it. Some people were arguing with me about it, and you know, it became a healthy debate, and we worked out a lot of different issues, trying to make it really simple, and what else... You know, what else we can talk about? Another thing that really, really struck me when I was working with kids in school is that kids would be pulled out of class for all kinds of reasons. Now, sometimes they were pulled out of class. They just left. They went to the bathroom or whatever it might be. They went to the nurse's office, uh, whatever. Sometimes they were pulled out for services. They needed extra help. But it gets complicated with these services because sometimes the kids are missing so much regular class time to get help that now they need even more help because just to keep up with what they're missing, to make up what they're missing because of the help that they're getting, it becomes like it takes a whole life onto its own. And it, for some kids, it's like totally out of control. So, you know, and I would think about this, that a kid that's only in class for half the time that gets a 50 on a test really got 100 because if you're in the classroom for only half of the instruction time and you know half of the material, that's pretty close to 100%. That's pretty much 100% if you slice it up. So there's really no efficient way of monitoring how much time kids are missing of class time once they're marked present. If they're absent, we know they're absent, but they're expected to make up the work and that's okay, you know, it's certainly reasonable. But if they're being pulled out of class, there is, there's got to be a point where it's just counterproductive or kids will tend to push the envelope. They'll go out to the bathroom and let's say a typical bathroom break would be a minute. If they're out for two minutes, that's twice as much time. And when they see that they can get away with that, then they'll push it out to two and a half minutes or three minutes or four minutes. And before you know it, you know, and, and honestly, when I was a kid in school, I took advantage of this too. I mean, who, who didn't take advantage of this? And the coolest thing was when we actually were working with this app with a public school, high school, and the teacher came back to me a week later and said that the very first day that she used the program, a kid had gone out to the bathroom and came back nine minutes later. Because, you know, in the app, you can mark it down. When somebody leaves, you swipe them out and then double tap to bring them back. Anyway, this kid came back after nine minutes and the teacher said, you know, you were out for nine minutes. And he said, no, I wasn't. I was only out for two minutes. And she said, no, it was nine minutes. I have it marked down right here. And she said, from that day on, the entire... Uh, you know, the entire atmosphere, like the whole class was different. The entire decorum of the class was different because there was a sense of accountability and it wasn't a punitive accountability. It wasn't like, oh, you missed, so you're being punished. It was just, we're now watching for this. We're now keeping track of this. And we all know that when you 
pay attention to things, things are better, things change. So this was another thing. So we're thinking that on one hand, we need to, rec- we need to keep better track of misbehaviors. We need to have concrete numbers to know how often a child is misbehaving so that when they mis- start to improve on their misbehavior and they're you know, making gradual changes, gradual improvement, we can notice that, we can complement that, we can help them work hard and, and encourage them to continue and to get even better. We need to keep better track of the positive feedbacks. That's so important. How many kids don't get positive feedbacks, not for any good reason, other than there's just that the teacher doesn't realize that this kid needs positive feedback. And it's hard to remember from day to day. Who did I engage yesterday? Who did I engage earlier today? There's a lot going on. It's hard to keep track with all this. The, sec- the third thing is to keep track of positive, of, of, I'm sorry, of coming and going from the classroom. So we kind of built this into the app and started this prototype. I spoke to my uncle about it. He liked the idea. He's a software developer for many years. And we built this prototype. And really the last, um, how many years has it been? Five or so years that we've been working with real teachers in real classrooms, making it better, tweaking it, collecting more data more efficiently, showing it back and dashboards and charts, really, really amazing stuff. And then came to the business side of this, like how do we get this out into the hands of hundreds and thousands of teachers across the world? And that became really, really challenging. And, you know, we at first wanted to market directly to the school administrators because they're the ones that can pay for this kind of a, dev- of, of a tool. And we came to realize that a lot of school administrators, principals, superintendents, and the like have their own challenge and that they can't push technology tools that the teachers are not bought into. So they were always, as much as they liked the, the idea behind the software, the, the ideas behind the software and the philosophy behind it, it's a very unique approach, but they were hesitant to impose on their teachers. So we were getting pushback from there. And so we decided that we're going to pull this back and we're going to start to have conversations with teachers whoever wants to hear, whoever wants to get involved in this conversation, it's a different conversation about education. It's not about the content of the education, although that's important. There's no question about that, but that's not our thing. Our thing is very simply teachers having great relationships with their students. And what can teachers do to build those relationships? And obviously, we're providing this tool that will help you take it to the next level. But even if you're not going to use the tool, the idea is, How can you impact your kids? That's why you come into teaching the first place for that incredible impact. So what can you do to build on that, to make that even better so that in 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, this child who's now in second grade or 10th grade, whatever, will think back to you as the teacher that made a difference in their life. That's that's the thrill of teaching. And for me, the opportunity to help teachers achieve that, that's a thrill for me. So... I started getting involved in social media. I started doing this podcast, interviewing teachers. And if you listen to all the interviews that I have with teachers, it's always about the same thing. It's always about the impact that teachers can have on kids. And so when I think back to this entire year, which was really, really a whirlwind of a year. Wow. I mean, doing a podcast every single week on top of everything that we're developing with the software, which is hopefully going to be coming out in the first or second week of of January of of next year, very, very soon. 
it's been exciting. It's been an exciting, thrilling ride, and we're looking to really take it to the next level. So we'll have more conversations with teachers. We're going to actually be putting this tool out. Teachers will be able to use it. Of course, we welcome the feedback. We want to make it even better. And again, it's not a point system. It's, it's unlike anything that we've seen anywhere else. And almost all the teachers that we talk to tell us the same thing. It's an entirely different perspective. It's not a point system. Kids don't need to earn this stuff. This is a tool that will help teachers understand and know their kids. I remember a number of years ago, we had a teacher that very early on was piloting with us. And she told us she's been teaching for 30 years and she never knew her kids as well as she knows them when she's using the tool, when she's using class stars. It's an amazing thing. How amazing is that to talk to a veteran teacher of 30 years who tells you that your tool helped her understand her students like never before. It's amazing. So that's what it's been for us. I really, really encourage everybody to reach out, get involved in the conversation. We're going to be starting some Facebook groups. We're going to be doing a lot of different things to get the conversation going. To me, the most important thing is to have the conversation. Let's have the conversation. Let's focus on the kids. Let's focus on the relationship with the kids. Let's focus on the things that teachers can guarantee to deliver. Teachers cannot guarantee to deliver test scores. The kids have to do their side of it. And obviously, the teacher plays a role. But we're putting too much of an emphasis on that. That's not, that's not useful. Let's focus on teachers engaging kids in positive ways, noticing positive things that are happening in the classroom. Let's highlight those things. Let's emphasize those things. Let's encourage kids based on those things. Let's let these kids know what's really going on. All the good stuff goes unnoticed. Let's stop unnoticing. Let's start noticing. And together, we can build a better classroom, more excited kids, more excited teachers, and a better future. It has been a great, great year, and thank you to all of you who have participated in the podcast, whether you came on and had a conversation with me in one of the episodes, or you just listened, or you left a comment, or you shared it with your friend. I appreciate each and every one of you, and what you guys are doing is literally the future, the future of the world. So keep it up, keep up the great work, keep spreading the message, and we'll see you next year. Thank you so much for tuning into the Class Stars podcast. To learn more about our vision for education, subscribe to us, visit our website, take our free training, sign up for the newsletter, and follow us on social media. Join the revolution in education and become a class stars today, empowering educators one episode at a time.